was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. And others said, Well, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him, because he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Well, how then does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. But he is of age, ask him, and he will speak for himself. And his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And the man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and you are teaching us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, and therefore your sin remains. It was a lengthy passage. But it's a passage I don't know how often we go back to and read. The, the, the entirety of our lesson this morning centers on that passage. And so if you weren't familiar with it, or if you hadn't given thought to it for a while, uh, the message this morning would have had no bearing on you. And so I wanted to read it. So I appreciate you for indulging me during reading that passage. But as you think on that passage, as you reflect on it, in my mind, I see three distinct classes identifying with Jesus in this passage. The first of those are those who refuse to believe. So if you got your outlines this morning on your way in, number one there, those who refuse to believe. And this was the Pharisees. They refused to believe that Jesus was from God. They saw and they heard the testimony of this miracle, but they refused 
to believe. In verse 16 of the passage that we just read, <laughs> they said this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. I encourage you to put yourself into the account here in the, in the scriptures to see which person that you wanted to relate with as we went through this uh, passage. Uh, how would that make you feel if you were the man that was blind that has now been able uh, to see, that's been healed? To, to be told that the man who cured your sight must not be from God because he cured you on the Sabbath. Or to be the parents, those of you that have had children with various illnesses or ailments to see that the Savior has healed your child. A man who was born blind, had been blind his entire life, and now he can see. And this Jesus healed him, gave him sight. And then to listen to the Pharisees say, he clearly is not from God because he did this great work on the Sabbath. Perhaps you're one of the ones who was there that would call themselves a disciple of Moses. Would you have said what they said? I'll be honest, I can see the contradiction there, the confusion. Your whole life you've been taught to, to keep the Sabbath day holy, to do no work on it. And here comes this man claiming to be from God, and he's healing and obviously doing work on the Sabbath day. I can see that there would be some contradiction there if that's what you had been brought up uh, being taught, which gives, you know, sidebar here, but be careful in your own religion. Just because you've been brought up to believe a certain way, just because you've been brought up to think a certain thing, study the scriptures, see for yourself, is what you've been brought up to believe really so? Or is there a change that needs to be made? I think about the passage over in Luke chapter 13. If you want to hop there, hop there. But Luke 13, verses 10 through 16, Jesus here heals a woman that had been crippled for 18 years, and he heals her on church. You want to guess which day? <laughs> the Sabbath day. And in verse 14, the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come. Listen to this, could you imagine? There are six days you ought to work, therefore come and be healed on one of those. Could you imagine? It'd be like going to the emergency room on a Sunday afternoon because you're, 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 you're bleeding and you get to the emergency room and the emergency room doctor will look at you and say, you know, there's six other days during the week that you could have chosen to have had this emergency. Come back on one of those. Could you imagine? Or needing a medication from a pharmacy. It's a life-threatening situation and you've got to take the medicine today. Without the medicine, you're going to die. Could you imagine calling me and saying, Michael, please, could you just come open the door just so that I could live and not die? And me saying, are you kidding me? There's six other days you could have gotten that medicine. Go home and die. What? I mean, like, Jesus healed. She'd been crippled for 18 years. And that was her day to come in contact with the Lord. That was her day in which she was saved. But rather than rejoicing with her, rather than giving glory to God that He was able to cure her, the Pharisees said, ma'am, you should have come on one of the other days of the week. Put yourselves in the position of the woman. If you were 18 years with a chronic ailment and you have the opportunity to be cured by Jesus, are you going to wait for one of the other six days of the week? <laughs> or are you going to go to the Lord to be healed? Jesus called them a hypocrite. He gives the analogy of what if it was your oxen or what if it was your donkey or they were stuck in a ditch. Would you not do work to get them out, to save them, to rescue them? And you're going to condemn me about healing this woman? Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. 
Jesus heals a paralytic man. You remember this passage. He says, son, be of good cheer. He tells him that your sins are forgiven. Rather than telling him to rise and walk, he forgives his sins. The Pharisees didn't like that. It caused quite the uproar. In verses 4 through 7, uh, why do you think evil in your hearts, Jesus said? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. These men, these scribes, these Pharisees, these priests, and in the case of our lesson text, they refused to believe that Jesus was from God. Church, do you see yourself in that group this morning? Are you not a child of God? Have you never been baptized for remission of your sins? You say, well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm not an atheist. I, I believe that there's a God, and I believe that Jesus was the Son of God, and I'm a good person, and, and I do good things. And I, I, I mean, I gave when we passed the plate earlier, and, but I, I'm not willing to submit to all of his teachings. I'm not willing to be baptized for remission of my sins. I'm not willing to give my life entirely to him. May I encourage you to reevaluate? And to see, do you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Those that believe me, they will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you have belief, James says even the demons believe and tremble. Are you going to put the belief into action? Do you see yourself this morning in this first group? I would submit to you they were in this group because their minds were closed. Uh, they cast the man whose sight had been restored out of the temple. In verse 34, they did that of our lesson text because they said to him, you were born in sins and you're teaching us. They were angry because the man who had been healed told them who Jesus was. And instead of listening to him, wouldn't it be hard to argue? I mean, you go back through that passage, and that's why we read it. They asked everybody they could think of. They were there, they saw him blind. They were there, they saw him now able to see, and they were astonished. And they asked him, who did this? And he said, Jesus. And they asked his parents, because his parents knew. I mean, like his parents knew that he was the same son that was blind. And his parents wouldn't speak up for him. And so they go back to the man, are you sure? Are you sure that Jesus did? Yes. And as he begins to tell him more and more about it, instead of accepting it, I mean, it's plain as day who healed him. Instead of accepting it, they got mad at him, said, you're obviously a sinner because you were blind. And they cast him out of the temple. They weren't willing to believe. Do I have a similar attitude today? Am I willing to weigh evidence contrary to perhaps the way I've been raised Am I willing to look at Scripture and see if there's some change that needs to be made in my life? Am I missing out on the saving grace of Jesus Christ because that's not how I've always done it? Because I'm unwilling to submit to His teachings. If it is, church, I would encourage us today to study. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 tells us to study to show ourselves approved. May we not leave here today being one who refuses to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The second group of people I want us to think about this morning and see if we identify with are those who want to remain neutral. Those who want to remain neutral. In this case, it's the parents. In this case, I used to compare it maybe to like a politician. Politicians don't seem to really want to remain neutral anymore. But there for the longest time, that was a group that always wanted to try to remain neutral on most everything. If you tell them you believe in this or you believe in that, you're going to alienate 
half of the, of the, of the group, or you're going to make those folks mad or those folks mad, and so I'm going to go through life, and I'm just never going to take sides. Church, I, this is the group that scares me the most. This is the group that the Bible warns about doing more damage to the church than any other group. This is the group that some of us in this very auditorium this morning are in. Now, if that hits your toes, I'm sorry. If it hits your hearts, praise God. Because if that's the group you find yourself in this morning, then I want to be a believer of, of, of God. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but I'm not going to do anything about it because I don't want to put people off. I'm not going to tell other people about it because I don't want to anger them. I'm not going to, to speak up because I don't want to lose my social status. Or if I acknowledge the fact that, that a Christian shouldn't do certain things and I can't go and do these things and I'm not willing to... Because church, have you not heard people say those very things? I would be a Christian, but if I become a Christian, then I'm acknowledging that this person was wrong that was so dear to me. I would become a Christian, but if I do, then that means that I can't be a part of this anymore. And that, that, that's my favorite thing that I go and do. And so to become a Christian, I'd have to give that up, and I, I can't do that. Church, that's exactly who this young man's parents were. They knew who healed their son, right? They knew who healed their son. We've got, uh, we've all seen children that have had major surgeries. A child born premature that spends time in a hospital with the best doctors and nurses and perhaps maybe there's a doctor that has to do a life-saving surgery and the doctor performs it and the child lives and you ask the parents, where did he receive treatment? Have you ever had a set of parents that would say, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know. You know where the treatment was received. I've heard many of you tell uh, stories of how thankful you were for treatments received at Cozares Children's Hospital or down at Nashville at a NICU unit or at MD Anderson at a cancer center. And you say, where did you go for treatment? I've never met a person yet ever say, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Or which one of you would say, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, you need to go and ask them for themselves. Let them answer you. I'm not, I'm not going to answer. Is that not absurd? Why would his parents not tell the Pharisees who healed their son? First, let's establish this. Number one, church, just nod. You don't even have to speak. Number one, do you think the parents knew who healed their son? Yes or no? Yeah, they knew. They were there. They, they knew. Why would they not acknowledge that Jesus healed their son, that he was the son of God? Because they were afraid. They were afraid. Getting ahead of myself. Letter A, I want you to know that we can't remain neutral. That's the, the temptation. That's the temptation the boy's parents had. They wanted to remain neutral. They didn't want to be cast out of the, of the temple, of the synagogue. They didn't want to be cast away from the Pharisees, but they also didn't want to spit in the face of Jesus. They knew in their heart of hearts that he had healed their son. They didn't want to come out right and say, yeah, he's a sinner and he's evil, and because he had. He had just healed their son. So instead, they decided to remain neutral. In verse 20 and 21, the way they answered it, they said, well, yeah, we know that's our son. <laughs> I'm glad they owned up to that much, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, we know. Yeah, that, that, that's our boy. And yeah, we know. He, he, was, uh, he was born blind. We, yeah, we, we do remember that. Our, our memories haven't gone that foggy. We, yeah, it was our son. Yes, he was blind. But you know, verse 21, we just don't know how he now sees. We just don't know how his eyes were opened. Um, why don't y'all go ask him? <laughs> Man, 
talk about throwing your child under the bus. Just go ask him. They wanted to be neutral. They wanted to be neutral because, B, they were afraid of the consequences of getting involved with Jesus. And, and I think that's valid. I, I, I'm concerned about that as well. I, I, I'm downright scared sometimes today in this world uh, of the backlash of taking a stance for Christ. We talked about it in our class this morning about hate speech and about some of the laws that are being tossed around going on the books where you can charge a preacher of a congregation or perhaps elders of a congregation with the crime of hate speech for preaching the word of God. How absurd has our country gotten to the point that proclaiming the good news out of the Bible could land someone in jail for preaching the word of God? It's not there yet. Could it be there someday? I pray not. Will you pray for that too, please? That a preacher might always be able to speak the word of God without the fear of being prosecuted or being put into jail. But the parents were afraid that if they spoke the truth, they would become outcast. But in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Jesus says, Don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But instead, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Church, you and I need to make sure that we fear him who can destroy both soul and and body. The boy's parents were afraid of the Pharisees. They don't appear to have been afraid of eternity. Matthew 12 and verse 30 gives us a warning today about trying to remain neutral. Matthew 12 and verse 30 says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. I want you to encourage the church to examine yourself this morning. Do I have a similar attitude to the boy's parents? Mark 8 and verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also, will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 16 talks about the lukewarm church. Do you remember what John says in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 16? I wish that you were either hot or cold, but instead because you're lukewarm, the passage says I'll spew you out of my mouth. I wish that you were either hot or cold. I wish that you were hot for Christ. And that's, that's what it should have said. I wish that you were hot for Christ. I wish you were all in for Jesus and out there in Mayfield, Kentucky, proclaiming the word of God. That's my wish, and I think that is the wish of John also. That's what we desire for everyone to be hot and on fire for the Lord. But if you're not going to be, John said, I wish you were ice cold. That way no one gets confused. Wouldn't it have been much better if the boy's parents would have just lied and said, yeah, we don't know who it was? Wouldn't that have been better for the cause of Christ? Because everybody in the, in the audience would have looked at the parents and said, well, you're obviously lying because you know who did this. And you can reject their testimony altogether. But instead, they tried to stay neutral. Church, are you trying to be neutral this morning to be just enough of a christian that nobody at church calls you out to be just enough of a christian that that you feel like you're probably in a safe place but not so much of a christian that you might have to lose friends are you in that spot this morning not so much of a christian that you've got to tell your children you can't go and do that that's sinful not so much of a christian that you've got to tell your friends i can't go and be a part of what you want to do this weekend because i'm a christian do you, do you find yourself trying to remain neutral? I hope not, and if not, it shouldn't bother you at all. We'll go on to point three here in just a minute. But church, if that applies to you this morning, and you see that in your life, I implore you, I plead with you, let's make a change today to stand up.
for Jesus. To not take the road that the boy's parents took and to say, we don't know. We sing that song, it's an invitation song a lot, Jeff, neutral, you cannot remain. You cannot remain neutral in the cause of Christ. Group number three, and this is our goal, church, to be found in the group who confessed Christ. To be found in the group who confesses that Jesus is the Son of, Christ, is the Son of God. In this passage, it's the blind man, and, and I love this man. I love the things that he said. He was asked three times, wasn't he? And he shared with others what Jesus had done for him. Read it again, verse 11. He said that a man called Jesus made clay, and he anointed my eyes, and he said to me, go to the pool and wash. And I went and I washed, and I received sight. In verse 15, the Pharisees asked him again, and he said, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. In verse 27, he answered them, and I think by verse 27, it wasn't ignorance. He knew what they were doing. He knew the consequences. He knew he was going to be put out of the synagogue. And in verse 27, he said, I've already told you twice. He didn't listen. <laughs> Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? The young man was unwavering in his confession of Christ. Church, do you and I share that same conviction today? Are you and I willing to tell others that we're a child of God and that we serve a risen Savior and that others should do the same? This young man, letter B, suffered because of his relationship with Christ. I always cringe. I, I've heard folks before in teaching about becoming a Christian and they only want to paint the pictures of glory. They only want to paint the pictures of spiritual blessings. But then they want to paint pictures of physical blessings as well. That if you only give your life to Christ, that if you only become a Christian, all of your problems will melt away. All of your problems will be gone. All of your heartaches and sorrows will be removed. And that's foreign to Scripture. Christians suffer. Christians cry. Christians have heartaches. It's an eternal life of hope. It doesn't promise us a, a, a life of luxury while on this earth. It promises a life where the roses never fade. It promises us a life of an eternity in heaven. This young man counted the cost and knew that if he confessed Christ that he would be rejected. But he confessed him anyway. Let us see. He obeyed the words of Jesus. There are some perhaps here this morning that believe that Jesus is the Son of God but aren't willing to submit to His will. To be washed in the blood of the Lamb for their mission of their sins. In 2 Kings chapter 5 Around verse 10, we have the story of Naaman. And if you don't recall that story, read it this afternoon, 2 Kings 5. Naaman was a, was a man who had leprosy, and, and he wanted more than anything to have his leprosy cleansed. And so finally a messenger from God came and, and, and told him what he needed to do to be saved, to go and dip in a river seven times, but the specific river he told him to go and wash in, he didn't want to go there. And so the, 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 the king Naaman was going to reject being cleansed was going to reject being washed. It'd be the equivalent today, church, of you rejecting being baptized to become a Christian because Naaman, in his mind, didn't think that it was a great enough command for him to do in order to obtain cleanliness. And finally, someone in his camp had enough sense. He went to him and he said, Naaman, why are you not doing this? Paraphrasing. If it was some great thing that you've been asked to do, would you not do it? Of course, the answer was, well, sure. 
Church, I implore you this morning, if you're here today as one that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you're willing to, to repent of your sins, you're willing to be baptized for remission of your sins, well, why would you wait any longer? If it were some great thing, if it was some more difficult thing than being washed, being baptized, being immersed in a watery grave of baptism, would you not do it? If that's all that's standing today between you and becoming a child of God, why wait any longer? Do you have this attitude? Do I have the attitude of one that believes in Jesus, but to this point has not been willing to become a child of God? If you are, we can make that right today. Perhaps you're one here this morning that's put on Christ in the past, but along the way you find yourself sliding into that middle category. As one who believes in Jesus, who perhaps was baptized in the past, but no longer wants to stand strong for the truth. If you need to ask for forgiveness, we'll pray with you and for you today. Or maybe you're here today as one that doesn't believe at all that Jesus is the Son of God. I, I would encourage you, let's study. Let's talk. Let's have a discussion. Allow us to look at the Bible and, and, and to show you that Jesus is the Savior of mankind. If we could help you in any way at all this morning, would you please come while we stand and sing?